holy, Jesus, mother, father, Abba, Amma, friend, counselor, guide, Rose of Sharon, everlasting creator, lover of our soul. There are so many names for you, and yet we could name your names all day long, and we've only just begun. Thank you for being beyond our limited attempts to describe you or define you. In fact, help us to put that aside and just to worship you, to be present to you, open to you, to your holiness. Help us to be silent enough to hear the beat of your heart, to hear your whispers. Thank you that your presence is always here. Your arms are always open. Guide us now. Teach us, lead us. We give you thanks. Amen. Today is Pentecost, the birthday of the church. It's the day that we celebrate and recognize the work and the movement of the Holy Spirit. We have lots of ways to talk about the Holy Spirit and to describe the Holy Spirit. We sing lots of songs about the Holy Spirit. There's the song, Every Time I Feel the Spirit, and some of the songs today are spirit songs. But the question that comes to me when we talk about the Spirit and we sing about the Spirit, do we really know what we're talking about, and do we really know what we're singing about? I think sometimes we get a little confused about the Spirit. Uh, I remember one Sunday in particular, one of our musicians offered some excellent ministry, and someone said, you know, you did a great job today, I just, just love your voice and love what you offered today, and their response was, that wasn't me, that was the Holy Spirit. And I thought, okay, does that mean that if it was really bad, that the Holy Spirit was having a bad voice that day? <laughs> You know, and sometimes we define a good worship service by whether or not we felt the Spirit. And we'll leave the service and say, oh, I really felt the Spirit today. Woo, I felt the Spirit. Well, one of my most vivid memories from childhood was a service we had in the Nazarene church. And for months after that service, people were talking about that worship service. Oh, you should have seen the Spirit that day. You should have felt the Spirit the day. Our service was so full of the Spirit that day. And it went on. It became legendary. What people didn't realize is what really happened that day. I was sitting next to my mother, as I usually did, on the second row in that little Nazarene church. And we were singing the old evangelical hymn, Revive Us Again. And just when we got to the chorus, a spider crawled across my mom's hymn book. She screamed and threw her hymn book up in the air. Well, about that time, somebody over here went, Woo, that must be the spirit. They threw their hymn book up in the air. And the next thing you know, hymn books were flying everywhere. People's hands were in the air. We feel the spirit. Woo! <laughs> it was a spider. <laughs> now, I guess you could argue that the spider was filled with the spirit that day, but... <laughs> The question is, how do we really define the Holy Spirit? How do we understand the Holy Spirit? And this sermon, I can guarantee you, will not be the end all of this conversation. But our scripture today truly gives us some windows into the Spirit to help us understand what the Spirit does, 
and what the Spirit doesn't do. So I'd invite you to look at your scripture today from Romans, because here's some real good basic stuff about what the Spirit does. Our scripture today, if you look at that third paragraph in Romans 8, the scripture says, the Spirit too comes to help us in our weakness. So what does the Spirit do? First of all, the Spirit helps us. And yes, there are some times when we truly need some help. I found myself thinking back to a time when here at Resurrection, we really needed some help. It's when we were on Decatur Street, and we were in the process of finding a way to relocate to another place. And we had not yet identified this particular property, but we were interviewing architects. We interviewed lots of architects, and we finally got down to the top two. There were 12 of us on the new facility task force, and we decided to take a vote. Two architects. The vote was six to six. So we began to converse, and some argued for this architect based on these reasons, and some argued for this architect based on these reasons, and we had a great conversation, and we thought maybe enough information, enough opinions had been shared that we could take another vote, and maybe it would shift. Voted again. Guess what it was? Six, six. We needed help! The thought that came to me in leading that meeting was to actually take some time just 10 minutes to seek the Spirit, to ask for the Spirit's help. So we invited the 12 members of the New Facility Task Force to just go anywhere in the room and just take 10 minutes and seek the heart of God. And then to come back, not have any further discussion, but simply vote again. Everyone came back, and guess what the vote was? It was unanimous. <laughs> it was unanimous that something had shifted during that time. Now, if it had been six to six, that would have been a great joke on us. But, <laughs> but we really did come to a place where we received that help and then moved forward with that architect. So the Spirit helps us. The second thing, if you look at that same passage, it goes on to say, the Spirit expresses our plea with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit groans with us. The Spirit feels what we feel. There are times when we can't put it into words. There's times when we can't get an expression around what we need. We can't even imagine it. We just find ourselves in that place where we are groaning from the inside out. We want someone to support us and to groan with us. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit groans with words that we can't even understand. It's a prayer that goes more like this. Oh, God. We groan sometimes. You know, you get that uh, email that says that you need to pay this bill or you need to accomplish this or that. You don't see how it's going to happen. You look at it. Oh, God. It's that groaning. Prayer is not always beautiful and pretty. Sometimes prayer comes from the deepest part. It is a groan. It is a feeling. It is a pain. Oftentimes when growing through grief, we can't get words around that. We can't even get thoughts around it. All we know is that we hurt. Or maybe we don't hurt. Maybe we're numb. The Spirit is numb with us, groans with us, prays with us. So the Spirit helps us, groans with us, and looking at the continuation of that scripture, it says, God who knows everything in our hearts knows perfectly well what the Spirit is saying 
because her intercessions for God's holy people are made according to the mind of God. The Spirit also intercedes for us. Now what's powerful about this is that the Spirit knows more of what we need than we do. We could ask the Spirit what to intercede about, but the Spirit actually looks inside of us and intercedes for things we don't even fully understand or realize. The Spirit is our advocate. I'd like us to kind of contemplate this a little bit further. One of my favorite theologians when I was in seminary is the wonderful um, professor from Union Theological Seminary and later Harvard, Paul Tillich. One of the thickest books I have. I just love to, you know, look at it and be a little bit impressed from time to time. But he actually has some amazing things to say about this prayer that's beyond prayer and words and this prayer that's an intercession. And this is some great stuff. And Kristen, if you could be Paul Tillich for a moment. I would love to be Paul Tillich for a moment. I love his perfume. He was a little sassy. <laughs> okay. You can be sassy and write thick books. Absolutely. All right. I believe it. Okay, time to be serious. This we should never forget when we pray. We do something humanly impossible. We talk to somebody who is not somebody else yet, who is nearer to us than we ourselves are. It is God who prays through us when we pray to God. God in us. This is what spirit means. Spirit is another word for God present with shaking, inspiring, transforming power, something in us, which is not we ourselves, intercedes before God for us. We cannot bridge the gap between God and ourselves, even though we might engage the most intensive and frequent prayers. The gap between God and ourselves can be bridged only by God. And so Paul gives us the surprising picture of God interceding for us before God's self. God interceding before God's self for us says that God knows more about us than that of which we are conscious. Who else can bring our whole being before God except God? who alone knows the deep things in our soul. Something happens in us that cannot be expressed in words. Words created by and used in our conscious life are not the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is the act of God who is working in us and raises our whole being to God. Mm. There's so much good stuff in there. One of the lines that really hit me is this whole idea that God is nearer to us than we are to ourselves. Just try to kind of wrap your heart around that a little bit, or at least let your heart just kind of be present to that. Maybe it can't be wrapped around it. And then this whole idea that we don't have to have perfect words, that, that prayer doesn't have to fit some kind of formula. There's so much freedom in that. In a sense... Prayer is simply getting into the flow and the river of God's intercession 
for us. Trusting that it's happening and somehow putting ourselves in that place, not worrying about what we're thinking or what we're even feeling, just knowing that we're there and that God's there. It's getting on this bridge that none of us can build ourselves, this God bridge. Soul to soul, souls connected. God is interceding for us. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit helps us. The Spirit groans with us. And the Spirit intercedes for us. Okay, that's what the Spirit does. Now, what does the Spirit not do? I would suggest that there are some things that we have attributed to the Spirit that actually are not the Spirit. Here are the four things the Spirit does not do. The Spirit doesn't plan it. The Spirit doesn't choose it. The Spirit doesn't fix it, and the Spirit doesn't do it for us. Now, this will be a little bit cross-grained to some of our theology that we learned growing up. For example, I grew up in a tradition that said, God has a perfect plan for your life. How many of you heard, God has a perfect plan for your life? I heard that, and I was excited about God's plan. In fact, I couldn't wait to get on God's plan. I loved God, and I wanted to get that plan right. And so, I asked for the plan. I got really frustrated when all my friends were graduating from college, going into great careers, having these stable lives, and I was still waiting for the plan. <laughs> God, why are you giving them the plan? You're not giving me the plan. You promised the plan. What's wrong with me? I've said all the right words. I've gone to church every Sunday. I've been nice to people. I've prayed. I've done all those good things they say you're supposed to do, and you've not given me a plan. Show me your plan. And then it came. The plan is love yourself, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. But God, I want your plan. Show me your will. You don't have to call it a plan, call it your will. I want to do your will. Asking the wrong question. I'm not going to show you my will, but I will show you myself. It was a clear call to not seek God's will, but to seek God. To seek that relationship. So the Spirit doesn't plan it. There's not some needle in some haystack. So if you can't even find the haystack, it's not there. Plan is to simply be in the Spirit and in the presence of God. So the Spirit doesn't plan it. Second thing the Spirit does not do is choose it. Now sometimes people are in this place of choice and they are seeking the Spirit. I sometimes get emails, and in fact I got one this week. I'm just going to share a part of it so you can get the idea that the Spirit doesn't choose it. This is the question that came to me, and I also share my response. I'm disguising some of the details and the gender of the person for privacy's sake, but here's the gist of it. This is someone who was a member of Resurrection about 10 years ago and moved to Temple, Texas. This email came this Wednesday. Reverend Duane, I want to come home. I miss you and the church so very much. I need to be there. I have been thinking of just quitting my job here in Temple and just moving home. After the move, I would have enough money to last for several months 
Yet how can I do this? I have such a good job, good money, it would be career suicide. Even with my skills in my field, I would not be able to get the same pay if I were even to get a job. How do I know what to do? I have prayed and prayed and cried and cried. There's that groaning thing going on. <laughs> okay, Reverend Duane, please give me your words of wisdom, love, understanding, and caring. I look forward every Wednesday to the mobilizer and to hear your message and all that's going on in the life of resurrection. I hope that you have a God-filled day. Got the email. My challenge was to be wise and loving and understanding and caring. And here's my response. <laughs> Thank you so much for your email. I'm grateful that the mobilizer is a source of encouragement for you. The questions you describe in your email are the sort of questions for which you may or may not receive a direct answer through prayer. This is because God's will is often not as specific as should I move here, should I quit my job, etc. It is God's will that we live a faithful, loving, prayerful, and spirit-filled life. And that can happen in many places and in many ways. Yes, continue to pray for clarity and direction. Pray for peace. Yet realize the decision may truly be up to you. And God will simply support you as a loving parent who wants you to be happy. Yes, God will go with you through many possible options or choices. I will pray for you as you weigh your options and seek the heart of God. And of course, it would be a joy for you to be here in Houston in resurrection. But it is your choice. The Holy Spirit does not choose for us. The Holy Spirit is really the heart of this loving God who simply wants us to make the best choice based on our preferences, our likes, our talents, our gifts, and to go from there. So the Holy Spirit doesn't plan it. The Holy Spirit doesn't choose it. And number three, the Holy Spirit doesn't fix it. Here's a good one. How many times do we get ourselves into messes of one type or another and then ask God to fix it? Now we'll say, God, I know I made this mess. I know I shouldn't have done this and done that. And I know I cheated on my partner. But I know now that if we have a good, you know, just God fix it. Just fix it. It's a mess. It's a mess. And then we go and we pray. And we pray for God to change everyone else that's involved in the mess and therefore fix the mess by fixing them while we're praying. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The mess is not going to get fixed until we get in there and do our best to have the conversation or make the confession or be honest, be impeccable with our word to work it out. And it's not going to happen immediately. It's going to take time when we've created damage or messes around us. The Holy Spirit doesn't fix it. Now the Holy Spirit will help us. The Holy Spirit will help us know when to be silent and when to speak. The Holy Spirit may give us some idea of the best timing to have the conversation that may be a very tough conversation. The Holy Spirit can help us to make better choices, but it's still our choice. But the Holy Spirit 
doesn't fix it. Number four, the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. I remember when my dad was early in his ministry, he tells a story of how early on he was trying to find various pastors who could mentor him. And he had a Sunday off and he went to this one church and was trying to learn all he could from the pastor. He asked the pastor about how he did his sermon preparation. And the pastor said, I only read the Bible, just the Bible. I don't read newspapers, I don't read commentaries, I don't read books, I don't read anything but the Bible. And then dad said, well, when do you prepare the sermon? And the pastor said, well, when the choir is singing, (laughs) I ask the Holy Spirit to give me a sermon. And then I preach it right from the Bible, nothing but the Bible. Dad was kind of like saying, oh, I've got to see this. (laughs) And And the pastor invited dad as a guest to sit next to him there on the chancel. So dad was sitting right next to this passage. This is a true story. About halfway through the choir anthem, The pastor leaned over and whispered in my dad's ear, I'm not getting it today. Do you have anything? (laughs) The Holy Spirit doesn't do it for us. The Holy Spirit does it through us, but not for us. So the Holy Spirit, what does she, he do helps us groans with us intercedes with us but the Holy Spirit doesn't plan it choose it fix it or do it for us we are still called to be co-creators in a responsible and mature faith and that includes maturity in our relation to the Holy Spirit it's not so much us feeling the Spirit but the Spirit feeling us And how do we know it's really the Spirit? I would suggest that how we know it is the Spirit is when it moves beyond feelings to actions. When we tell the truth. When we become impeccable with our word, that's the Spirit working through us. When we no longer take things personally, that's the Spirit working with us and through us and in us. When we bring our best to our callings, whatever our callings may be, that's the Spirit working through us and in us and doing God's work on earth through us. We no longer make assumptions, but have the hard conversations to get to the deepest relationship and truth. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one who gives us that Spirit promise to be with us through pain, to be with us through suffering, to be with us through weakening, weaknesses, to be with us through the decisions, to be with us every moment. But we are called to do the work with the Spirit. Amen and amen.